You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. And now, a word from our sponsor, SixSense. SixSense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With SixSense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixSense, visit SixSense.com. So we did an incident response case at one of our clients in Europe about one and a half years ago. That's Martin von Donsik. He's lead intelligence analyst at Fox IT. The research we're discussing today is titled Operation Wochow, shining a light on one of China's hidden hacking groups. Uh, so they were alerted to a breach by one of the honeypots that they had placed inside their uh, internal network. So it was only reachable from the, um, from the internal network which was scanned by a pretty important host inside their network, one of their domain controllers. Um, so they called us, said, well, we have a honeypot here internally. Uh, it was scanned by uh, one of our domain controllers. Can you please uh, come on site and tell us uh, uh, what's going on? Um, and that's what, uh, that's what all started this. Well, let's walk through it together. I mean, there's a lot in the research here. Um, let's start off, uh, who are these people and what does it seem like they're after? Right, so it's, it's always very difficult to say what it is exactly that they're after. We have at least two cases where we saw the actor live inside the network of one of our clients. Uh, but for some of the other victims that we have named, we only know from our you know external scanning of the internet that these uh, attackers were active there. So we're not entirely sure what it is that they were after. However, if you look at the countries where this group uh, is active, so where the companies or the victims are targeted by this group, when you look at the sectors and industries in which those victims are active, 
they very closely resemble the industries that are typically targeted by Chinese threat actors, right, which are in line also with you know, China's Made in 2025 plan, where their goal is to um, become less dependent on the West or, or other countries uh, for that matter. So you see that a lot of the victims that are targeted by the specific group, uh, you can find those back in the industries where China wants to grow uh, its own production. One of the, the segments of your research here, you go through their modus operandi. Um, can you walk us through what are some of the things you found here? Right. So in the report, we detailed it from initial access uh, all the way to the last step of the um, uh, MITRE tech framework. So we mapped everything to MITRE's tech framework just so everyone uh, could follow along from, uh, from start to end. So the initial access was actually quite interesting. So the way they do it in itself is not very, um, very new or, or novel. Um, so they uh, target vulnerable Jable servers. But what was very interesting is that in most of the cases that we've seen uh, is that they would actually use uh, web shells, so backdoors placed there already by other threat actors um, for initial reconnaissance. So of course, mm. you know, the vulnerable Jable servers that I'm discussing were already compromised by other threat actors. You know, most of them opportunistic, uh, you know, running crypto miners and things like that. So they would use those initial backdoors just to see, you know, is this server in fact interesting for operation? And if it was, they would exploit the server uh, themselves uh, to upload their own backdoor. And then they're they're uh, moving laterally throughout the networks? Right, yeah. So, and, and the lateral movement is typical for what you would expect for, you know, any type of um, threat actor that wants to move from machine A to B within a, a Windows environment. So, usually your typical misconfigured Active Directory settings. So, they would use, you know, the average uh, tools that you would expect, such as Mimikatz, uh, to dump credentials from domain admins or local administrators um, and gain privileges in that way. So once the attackers uh, have access to the um, domain admin accounts of one domain or multiple domains, uh, they would then also target the uh, system administrators inside the domain. So of course they have access to a lot of servers and, and several credentials, but they're all part of the um, of the Windows domain. So if they want to ta- uh, target servers that are separate from the Windows domain, such, such as the Linux environment uh, or sometimes backup servers, uh, they would target the sysadmins or enterprise admins and then specifically go after uh, their password managers. So in some of the cases that we've done, uh, the admins would use keypass. So the attackers would exfiltrate the keypass uh, database and then the passwords once the um, enterprise administrator uh, would type that in into the password manager. So then they have access to all the credentials uh, inside that keypass uh, database file. Yeah, one of the things I, I enjoy about your research here is that you go through what uh, these threat actors activity might be on an average working day. It's an interesting insight. Yeah, so uh, because um, in one case, we actually got to see the attackers um, doing their thing uh, over the course of several weeks. So we were not ready to kick these attackers out of the network because the visibility that we had uh, on this victim's network was very limited. So we were concerned that if we uh, would kick them out uh, too early in the progress, that they would notice and uh, completely change their modus operandi. Um, So instead of kicking them out, uh, we watched and monitored them while we improved our visibility over the network until we could kick them out. And that visibility over the course of several weeks uh, made for some very interesting uh, insight. And then one of those was um, that the attackers would use the victim's VPN concentrator to log into the environment, then deploy their tooling, uh, move through the network and exfiltrate files. What we noticed was that the victim uh, where we responded to was using a VPN solution that had two-factor enabled. However, so this was the RSA Secure ID and RSA Secure ID has multiple methods uh, of implementing uh, two-factor. So you can either go with a token, so a USB-based token, 
can go with your phone, uh, or you can actually do a software-based token on the uh, on the desktop. And the latter was actually something that the attackers um, uh, abused. Interesting. Now, you have a whole section here on attribution. Um, before we dig into some of the specifics of attribution in this case, I'm curious about um, how Fox IT approaches attribution, because some, well, many organizations uh, shy away from attribution, but you all find it to be a, a valuable thing. Right, yeah. So me, myself, as an intelligence analyst, uh, as well as an instant responder, I'm always interested to get as much facts as possible uh, about an intrusion that I'm dealing with. Uh, in my opinion, any context or extra information I can get on an attacker uh, where I'm actively responding to is of value. So during such an incident, especially when you have this visibility on an attacker, uh, you actually have the time also to look into you know, what it is that uh, might motivate the attacker. So as we write in the report, I'm fairly convinced that you know any attacker uh, that has the goal to deploy, for example, ransomware, is very different from an attacker that might be uh, looking for sensitive data to steal. Responding to an intrusion where the goal of the attacker is uh, to deploy ransomware, you will respond to that differently than when the goal is to steal intellectual property. Right? So your focus is on different servers inside the network. Your focus with ransomware might be on backup servers, while your focus when it comes to espionage might be on servers that are holding uh, a lot of intellectual property. Well, let's go through some of the specific things that you all noticed here that led you to your attribution. Uh, what sort of things did you note? Right, so multiple things pointing into the direction of um, of China. So during this intrusion that I that I spoke of of multiple weeks, uh, we also placed some network sensors inside the environment of the um, of the victim. And there's one specific tool that the attackers appear to be using continuously, uh, which is named X Server. It's essentially used to tunnel traffic from one machine to another or from multiple machines. Um, and in one case, we actually saw a network packet coming from you know outside of the uh, victim's network, uh, but being tunneled through the victim's network where we had those network sensors. And then we got to see through one of the uh, not encrypted HTTP headers that the accept language of the attacker's browser was actually set to the uh, Chinese language setting. Hmm. Um, so that was just one of the uh, one of the points. A more interesting one, which also led to the title of the report, uh, was that the attackers had uh, initially come in through a uh, through a web show that they had not used uh, over the course of the incident. So they used it for the initial access, but after that they solely relied on the VPN access that they had uh, to the victim's environment. So after a while they did leave. So they did leave that web shell on the vulnerable server with the intention to come back to it once they had been kicked out of the network. Um, so fortunately, in our case, we also found the web shell and removed that. And now we could see the attacker coming back to that web shell, uh, attempting to execute several commands. And after a couple of those commands, you could see, of course, the web shell no longer returned, returned anything positively to those commands, right? So no uh, responses from the Windows server that were expected. Um, and then you can see several commands. And then the very last command is you know, not a Windows command. Uh, and when we actually Googled for that, uh, it turned out to be, no, a swear word in Chinese, uh, which was <laughs> very likely, you know, written uh, as a sign of uh, frustration after having lost access to a uh, to a victim uh, where they had 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 access uh, for uh, for several months. And that was uh, the word Wo Chow, which is uh, the, the, what you all adopted as uh, the identifier for uh, for this particular research. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You also uh, were able to cooperate with law enforcement and, and find some things about some registration of uh, of some domain names? 
Yeah, that's correct. So we kicked back a couple of IP addresses to uh, a couple of uh, law enforcement agencies that we uh, that we work with and that were um, you know are active in the countries where the servers were. So we did this during the incident, but unfortunately for one of the servers, we were too late and the server was no longer actively being used by the actor. Um, so nothing was possible in terms of getting a forensic image from that machine and having the law enforcement agency investigate that. Uh, however, they did supply us with the registration information. And it all appeared to be, you know, dummy data that was filled in, a name that sounded like it was a real person, uh, nor was the email address or, or the address. But what was interesting is that the state and region contained um, uh, Chinese uh, characters as opposed to you know, the older English words that were written there. Um, and at least our hypothesis is that, you know, one of the attackers put in this information um, uh, while registering the servers, but uh, possibly forgot to copy paste the correct value uh, from the uh, from the translated one. And this is not information that you could see. And this is not information that was used to register a domain, but it was really used to register a server. So it's not you know, publicly visible for others. Um, so I think it's really highly likely that this was, in fact, uh, a mistake by one of the attackers. Oh, very interesting. Well, let's go through uh, who you've gathered that they're targeting. You have a list of uh, the victims here. What, uh, what did you find here? Right. So we saw targeting of at least 10 countries, and it's based on the visibility, of course, um, uh, that we have across a, a wide variety of industries. So the victim that I referenced uh, quite a few times where we got to see the attackers for several weeks was actually a managed service provider. So you should know that um, the attackers target managed service providers and a lot of other industries. But of course, through the managed service providers, they target those industries as well. Right. So the, the main target is, of course, not the managed service provider. But they are the customers of the managed service provider, which we've seen, you know, which we're seeing more and more uh, from Chinese threat actors. How about the types of tools that they're using? Is it off the shelf uh, stuff or, or are they creating their own custom tools? So it's a combination um, of both. So they do use um, some of the open source tools that are quite well known, right? So uh, Mimikatz and Bloodhound uh, are very well known uh, among penetration testers, but unfortunately also uh, by a lot of uh, malicious threat actors. Um, there are some tools that are completely uh, coded from scratch or appear to be at least custom to this group, such as the uh, X server tool that I referenced. So really a tunneling tool to go from machine A to B and possibly through you know, multiple other compromised machines is, for example, done to access machines that are not directly connected to the Internet, but are connected to other machines um, inside the internal network. And what's also interesting is that we saw some use of uh, open source tooling, but that they are also making an effort to patch some of the indicators in there. So um, mm. in one specific uh, example, uh, they made use of SMB exec, which is part of the uh, Impacted uh, you know, Python penetration testing uh, suite. And they patched um, one of the variable, uh, variable file names to something. Uh, so it used to be execute.bat, and they renamed it to a double underscore exec.bat, um, and very likely in an attempt to evade detection. In, in your estimation, how would you rank the sophistication of this group? Well, I'm not sure if there's an official uh, ranking system uh, uh, to mm. do that. Uh, I would say that they are uh, one of the more advanced Chinese threat actors, at least that I've dealt with. And what are your recommendations for people to protect themselves against this? Right, so there are a lot of things. The initial uh, entry vector is, of course, a big one, right? Uh, no organization that should ever have an exposed Jable server 
uh, running vulnerable software directly to the internet, nor should it be connected to the rest of the um, internal network. Um, but if you read the report, you know, we've really gone through, uh, we've really put in effort to map it to MITRE's attack framework. Uh, you see that there's a lot of tools used, um, uh, open source tools used, uh, which you can still easily attack, right? Some of the other good ones are that the attacker also clears uh, Windows event logs from compromised servers. And the clearing of a Windows event log actually in itself also generates an event log. So monitoring for that uh, will be a very good start. Now, you have some interesting insights here on some of the day-to-day work patterns that you were able to track of the folks running things from the other side. So one of the ways in which we attributed this attack to China was the fact that while we were monitoring uh, the attacker's activity over the course of, uh, of several weeks, uh, we could easily see that they would start their uh, their day in line with the uh, normal Chinese working hours, right? So they would start around 9 or 10 uh, p.m. and continue for about 8 to 10 hours. And this was continuous for you know, about three weeks. And during the weekends, there would be, uh, would be absolutely no activity. It's interesting how, I mean, it, it speaks to the, uh, the professionalism uh, of what's going on here. This is someone's job. Yeah, exactly. You can see, and actually, during the very start of the incident, so when we investigated patient zero, this specific breach, uh, we could see that the attackers were actually active during the weekend. So very likely they had found an interesting victim with a vulnerable uh, Jable server and knew that they only had... That's Martin Von Danzig. The research is titled Operation Wochow, shining a light on one of China's hidden hacking groups. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.